0: Hey everyone, welcome back to week three of The Wizard of Oz. I'm in my living room, not in the studio, or I'm in my kitchen actually, not in the studio this week, and just talking to you and hoping everyone's doing good. We are at book four of The Wizard of Oz, book three about Dorothy. I'm hanging out here with some cool babies. I'm
1: not a baby!
0: You're not a baby. Okay, you're not a baby. I'm hanging out with some cool kids. How how do you feel about that?
1: Um, I can.
0: Okay, you're a kid. All right. Thank you so much and that was Minnie who's helping be uh produce the show this week. So, do you do you like The Wizard of Oz, Minnie?
1: I haven't seen that.
0: You've never seen The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. What's your favorite uh what's your favorite book?
1: Um Any book in my turquoise back?
0: Okay. Um what books would those be?
1: Um Do you know um, you don't know, have the counting, um, bug one? And even I did. And even, um, it's with a ladybug. And even on the, um, she asked all the bugs. She, she looked it at her tea. And even all the cakes. But there was no bite. But then the bunch cake!
0: All right, bugs game. That's pretty cool. So, how are you doing? Are you are you having a good week, Minerva? Yeah, but even there's a, there's one in on the,
1: the book rack. Yeah,
0: there's one on the book rack.
1: Um,
0: which is which is about Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. Okay. All right. So, your favorite things right now are Pokemon, Paw Patrol, and Frozen.
1: Yeah, even.
0: Yeah, even. Um... Power Rangers,
1: 'cause they have a. Cow?
0: Ranger. You like Power Rangers too, okay? Cause you, Minnie, you want to be a ninja? Yeah. Yeah, you want to be a ninja? Well, there's no ninjas in the Wizard of Oz, but there is Bunny Slippers from BunnySlippers.com in this advertisement. Thank you so much, Minnie. Do you like the Bunny Slipper, Bunny Slippers, the fuzzy cow slippers in the front room? Yeah. No, Easter was two days ago. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Black Clock Audio Tales. (laughs) It's been an interesting week, and we all hope you're doing well, and we hope you're keeping warm, and you've got cool stuff like bunny slippers and found-item clothing. Thank you so much. Remember to help support the show by going to Facebook, Instagram... Uh, itunes stitcher any place that you find out about our podcast that you can tell other people about it or recommend it and rate and review that really helps the show and yeah dorothy and the wizard here we go
1: they meet the wooden gargoyles another breathless climb brought our adventurers to a third landing where there was a rift in the mountain on peering out all they could see was rolling banks of clouds so thick that they obscured all else. But the travelers were obliged to rest, and while they were sitting on the rocky floor, the wizard felt in his pocket and brought out the nine tiny piglets. To his delight they were now plainly visible, which proved that they had passed beyond the influence of the magical valley of Vaux. "'Why, we can see each other again!' cried one joyfully. "'Yes,' sighed Eureka, "'and I also can see you again, "'and the sight makes me dreadfully hungry. "'Please, Mr. Wizard, "'may I eat just one of the fat little piglets? "'You'd never miss one of them, I'm sure.' "'What a horrid, savage beast!' exclaimed a piglet. "'And after we've been such good friends, too, "'and played with one another.' "'When I'm not hungry, I love to play with you all,' "'said the kitten demurely.' "'But when my stomach is empty it seems that nothing will fill it so nicely as a fat piglet.' "'And we trust you so,' said another of the nine reproachfully. "'And thought you were respectable,' said another. "'It seems we were mistaken,' declared the third, looking at the kitten timorously. "'No one with such murderous desires should belong to our party, I'm sure.' You see, Eureka, remarked Dorothy reprovingly, you are making yourself disliked. There are certain things proper for a kitten to eat, but I never heard of a kitten eating a pig under any circumstances. Did you ever see such little pigs before? asked the kitten. They are no bigger than mice, and I'm sure mice are proper for me to eat. It isn't the bigness, dear, it's the variety, replied the girl. "'These are Mr. Wizard's pets, just as you are my pet, "'and it wouldn't be any more proper for you to eat them "'than it would be for Jim to eat you.' "'And that's just what I shall do "'if you don't let those little balls of pork alone,' "'said Jim, glaring at the kitten with round big eyes. "'If you injure any one of them, I'll chew you up instantly.' The kitten looked at the horse thoughtfully, as if trying to decide whether he meant it or not. In that case, she said, I'll leave them alone. You haven't many teeth left, Jim, but the few you have are sharp enough to make me shudder. So the piglets will be perfectly safe hereafter as far as I am concerned. That is right, Eureka, remarked the wizard earnestly. Let us all be a happy family and love one another. Eureka yawned and stretched herself. I've always loved the piglets, she said, but they don't love me. No one can love a person he's afraid of, asserted Dorothy. If you behave and don't scare the little pigs, I'm sure they'll grow very fond of you. The wizard now put the nine tiny ones back into his pocket, and the journey was resumed. We must be pretty near the top now, said the boy, as they climbed wearily up the dark winding stairway. The country of the Gurgles can't be far from the top of the earth, remarked Dorothy. It isn't very nice down here. I'd like to get home again, I'm sure. No one replied to this because they found they needed all their breath for the climb. The stairs had become narrower and Zeb and the wizard often had to help Jim pull the buggy from one step to another or keep it from jamming against the rocky walls. At last, however, a dim light appeared ahead of them, which grew clearer and stronger as they advanced. Thank goodness we're nearly there, panted the little wizard. Jim, who was in advance, saw the last stair before him and stuck his head above the rocky sides of the stairway. Then he halted, ducked down, and began to back up so that he nearly fell with the buggy onto the others. Let's go down again, he said in his hoarse voice. "'Nonsense!' snapped the tired wizard. "'What's the matter with you, old man?' "'Everything,' grumbled the horse. "'I've taken a look at this place, and it's no fit country for real creatures to go to. "'Everything's dead up there. "'No flesh, no blood, or growing things anywhere.' "'Never mind, we can't turn back,' said Dorothy. "'And we don't intend to stay there anyhow.' "'It's dangerous,' growled Jim in a stubborn tone.' See here, my good steed, broke in the wizard. Little Dorothy and I have been in many queer countries in our travels and always escaped without harm. We've even been to the marvelous land of Oz, haven't we, Dorothy? So we don't much care what the country of the gargoyles is like. Go ahead, Jim, and whatever happens, we'll make the best of it. All right, answered the horse. "'This is your excursion and not mine, so if you get into trouble, don't blame me.' With this speech he bent forward and dragged the buggy up the remaining steps. The others followed, and soon they were all standing upon a broad platform and gazing at the most curious and startling sight their eyes had ever beheld. "'The country of the gargoyles is all wooden!' exclaimed Zeb, and so it was." The ground was sawdust, and the pebbles scattered around were hard knots from trees worn smooth in course of time. There were odd wooden houses with carved wooden flowers in the front yards. The tree trunks were of course wood, but the leaves of the trees were shavings. The patches of grass were splinters of wood, and where neither grass nor sawdust showed was a solid wooden flooring. Wooden birds fluttered among the trees, and wooden cows were browsing upon the wooden grass, but the most amazing things of all were the wooden people, the creatures known as gargoyles. They were very numerous, for the palace was thickly inhabited, and a large group of the queer people clustered near, gazing sharply upon the strangers who had emerged from the long spiral stairway. The gargoyles were very small of stature, being less than three feet in height. Their bodies were round, their legs short and thick, and their arms extraordinarily long and stout. Their heads were too big for their bodies, and their faces were decidedly ugly to look upon. Some had long curved noses and chins, small eyes and wide grinning mouths. Others had flat noses, protruding eyes and ears that were shaped like those of an elephant, There were many types, indeed, scarcely two being alike, but all were equally disagreeable in appearance. The tops of their heads had no hair, but were carved into a variety of fantastic shapes, some having a row of points or balls around the top, other designs resembling flowers or vegetables, and still others having squares that looked like waffles cut crisscross on their heads. They all wore short wooden wings, which were fastened to their wooden bodies by means of wooden hinges with wooden screws, and with these wings they flew swiftly and noiselessly here and there, their legs being of little use to them. This noiseless motion was one of the most peculiar things about the gargoyles. They made no sounds at all, either in flying or trying to speak, and they conversed mainly by means of quick signals made with their wooden fingers or lips. Neither was there any sound to be heard anywhere throughout the wooden country. The birds did not sing, nor did the cows moo, yet there was more than ordinary activity everywhere. The group of these queer creatures which was discovered clustered near the stairs at first remained staring and motionless glaring with evil eyes at the intruders who had so suddenly appeared in their land. In turn the wizard and the children, the horse and the kitten, examined the gargoyles with the same silent attention. "'There's going to be trouble, I'm sure,' remarked the horse. "'Unhitch those tugs, Zeb, and set me free from the buggy so I can fight comfortably.' "'Jim's right,' sighed the wizard. "'There's going to be trouble, "'and my sword isn't stout enough to cut up those wooden bodies, "'so I shall have to get out my revolvers.' "'He got his satchel from the buggy, and, opening it, "'took out two deadly-looking revolvers "'that made the children shrink back in alarm just to look at. "'What harm can the gurgles do?' asked Dorothy. "'They have no weapons to hurt us with.' "'Each of their arms is a wooden club.' "'answered the little man, "'and I'm sure the creatures mean mischief "'by the looks of their eyes. "'Even these revolvers can merely succeed "'in damaging a few of their wooden bodies, "'and after that we will be at their mercy.' "'But why fight at all in that case?' asked the girl. "'So I may die with a clear conscience,' "'returned the wizard gravely. "'It's every man's duty to do the best he knows how, "'and I'm going to do it.' Wish I had an axe, said Zeb, who by now had unhitched the horse. If we had known we were coming, we might have brought along several other useful things, responded the wizard, but we dropped into this adventure rather unexpectedly. The gargoyles had backed away a distance when they heard the sound of talking, for although our friends had spoken in low tones, their words seemed loud in the silence surrounding them. But as soon as the conversation ceased the grinning ugly creatures arose in a flock and flew swiftly toward the strangers, their long arms stretched out before them like the bowsprits of a fleet of sailboats. The horse had especially attracted their notice because it was the biggest and strangest creature they had ever seen, so it became the center of their first attack. But Jim was ready for them, and when he saw them coming, he turned his heels toward them and began kicking out as hard as he could. Crack, crash, bang! went his iron shod hooves against the wooden bodies of the gargoyles, and they were battered right and left with such force that they scattered like straws in the wind. But the noise and clatter seemed as dreadful to them as Jim's heels, for all who were able swiftly turned and flew away to a great distance. The others picked themselves up from the ground one by one, and quickly rejoined their fellows, so for a moment the horse thought he had won the fight with ease. But the wizard was not so confident. Those wooden things are impossible to hurt, he said, and all the damage Jim has done to them is to knock a few splinters from their noses and ears, "'That cannot make them look any uglier, I am sure, and it is my opinion that they will soon renew the attack.' "'What made them fly away?' asked Dorothy. "'The noise, of course. Don't you remember how the champion escaped them by shouting his battle cry?' "'Suppose we escape down the stairs, too,' suggested the boy. "'We have time just now, and I'd rather face the invisible bears than those wooden imps.' "'No.' "'returned Dorothy stoutly. "'It won't do to go back, for then we would never get home. "'Let's fight it out.' "'That is what I advise,' said the wizard. "'They haven't defeated us yet, and Jim is worth a whole army.' "'But the gargoyles were clever enough not to attack the horse the next time. "'They advanced in a great swarm, having been joined by many more of their kind, "'and they flew straight over Jim's head to where the others were standing.' The wizard raised one of his revolvers and fired into the throng of his enemies, and the shot resounded like a clap of thunder in that silent place. Some of the wooden beings fell flat upon the ground, where they quivered and trembled in every limb, but most of them managed to wheel and escape again to a distance. Zeb ran and picked up one of the gargoyles that lay nearest to him. The top of its head was carved into a crown, and the wizard's bullet had struck it exactly in the left eye, which was a hard wooden knot. Half of the bullet stuck in the wood and half stuck out, so it had been the jar and the sudden noise that had knocked the creature down more than the fact that it was really hurt. Before this crowned gargoyle had recovered himself, Zeb had wound a strap several times around its body, Confining its wings and arms so that it could not move. Then, having tied the wooden creature securely, the boy buckled the strap and tossed his prisoner into the buggy. By that time, the others had all retired. End of Chapter 11 A Wonderful Escape. For a while, the enemy hesitated to renew the attack. Then a few of them advanced until another shot from the wizard's revolver made them retreat. ''That's fine,'' said Zeb. ''We've got em on the run now, sure enough.'' ''But only for a time,'' replied the wizard, shaking his head gloomily. ''These revolvers are good for six shots each, but when those are gone we shall be helpless.'' The gargoyles seemed to realize this, for they sent a few of their band, time after time, to attack the strangers and draw the fire from the little man's revolvers. In this way none of them was shocked by the dreadful report more than once, for the main band kept far away, and each time a new company was sent into the battle. When the wizard had fired all of his twelve bullets, he had caused no damage to the enemy except to stun a few by the noise, and so he was no nearer to victory than in the beginning of the fray. "'What shall we do now?' asked Dorothy anxiously. "'Let's yell, all together,' said Seb. "'And fight at the same time,' added the wizard. "'We will get near Jim so that he can help us, and each one must take some weapon and do the best he can. "'I'll use my sword, although it isn't much account in this affair.' Dorothy must take her parasol and open it suddenly when the wooden folks attack her. I haven't anything for you, Zeb. I'll use the king, said the boy, and pulled his prisoner out of the buggy. The bound gargoyle's arms extended far out beyond its head, so by grasping its wrists, Zeb found the king made a very good club. The boy was strong for one of his years, having always worked upon a farm so he was likely to prove more dangerous to the enemy than the wizard. When the next company of gargoyles advanced, our adventurers began yelling as if they had gone mad. Even the kitten gave a dreadfully shrill scream, and at the same time Jim the cab horse neighed loudly. This daunted the enemy for a time, but the defenders were soon out of breath, Perceiving this, as well as the fact that there were no more of the awful bangs to come from the revolvers, the gargoyles advanced in a swarm as thick as bees, so that the air was filled with them. Dorothy squatted upon the ground and put up her parasol, which nearly covered her, and proved a great protection. The wizard's sword-blade snapped into a dozen pieces at the first blow he struck against the wooden people. "'Zeb pounded away with the gargoyle he was using as a club "'until he had knocked down dozens of foes, "'but at last they clustered so thickly about him "'that he no longer had room in which to swing his arms. "'The horse performed some wonderful kicking, "'and even Eureka assisted when she leaped bodily upon the gargoyles "'and scratched and bit at them like a wildcat. "'But all this bravery amounted to nothing at all.' The wooden things wound their long arms around Zeb and the wizard and held them fast. Dorothy was captured in the same way, and numbers of the gargoyles clung to Jim's legs, so weighting him down that the poor beast was helpless. Eureka made a desperate dash to escape and scampered along the ground like a streak, but a grinning gargoyle flew after her and grabbed her before she had gone very far. All of them expected nothing less than instant death, but to their surprise, the wooden creatures flew into the air with them and bore them far away, over miles and miles of wooden country, until they came to a wooden city. The houses of the city had many corners, being square and six-sided and eight-sided. They were tower-like in shape, and the best of them seemed old and weather-worn. Yet all were strong and substantial. "'To one of these houses, which had neither doors nor windows, but only one broad opening far up underneath the roof, the prisoners were brought by their captors. "'The gargoyles roughly pushed them into the opening, where there was a platform, and then flew away and left them. "'As they had no wings, the strangers could not fly away, and if they jumped down from such a height they would surely be killed.' The creatures had sense enough to reason that way and the only mistake they made was in supposing the earth people were unable to overcome such ordinary difficulties. Jim was brought with the others although it took a good many gargoyles to carry the big beast through the air and land him on the high platform and the buggy was thrust in after him because it belonged to the party and the wooden folks had no idea what it was used for or whether it was alive or not. When Eureka's captor had thrown the kitten after the others, the last gargoyle silently disappeared, leaving our friends to breathe freely once more. "'What an awful fight!' said Dorothy, catching her breath in little gasps. "'Oh, I don't know,' purred Eureka, smoothing her ruffled fur with her paw. "'We didn't manage to hurt anybody, and nobody managed to hurt us. "'Thank goodness we are together again, even if we are prisoners,' sighed the little girl." ''I wonder why they didn't kill us on the spot,'' remarked Zeb, who had lost his king in the struggle. ''They are probably keeping us for some ceremony,'' the wizard answered reflectively, ''but there is no doubt they intend to kill us as dead as possible in a short time.'' ''As dead as possible would be pretty dead, wouldn't it?'' asked Dorothy. ''Yes, my dear, but we have no need to worry about that just now. Let us examine our prison and see what it is like.'' The space underneath the roof where they stood permitted them to see on all sides of the tall building, and they looked with much curiosity at the city spread out beneath them. Everything visible was made of wood, and the scene seemed stiff and extremely unnatural. From their platform a stair descended into the house, and the children and the wizard explored it after lighting a lantern to show them the way. Several stories of empty rooms rewarded their search, but nothing more so after a time they came back to the platform again. Had there been any doors or windows in the lower rooms, or had not the boards of the house been so thick and stout, escape would have been easy, but to remain down below was like being in a cellar or the hole of a ship, and they did not like the darkness or the damp smell. In this country, as in all others they had visited underneath the earth's surface, there was no night, a constant and strong light coming from some unknown source. Looking out, they could see into some of the houses near them, where there were open windows in abundance, and were able to mark the forms of the wooden gargoyles moving about in their dwellings. This seems to be their time of rest, observed the wizard. All people need rest, even if they are made of wood, and, as there is no night here, they select a certain time of the day in which to sleep or doze." "'I feel sleepy myself,' remarked Zeb, yawning. "'Why, where's Eureka?' cried Dorothy suddenly. They all looked around, but the kitten was no place to be seen. "'She's gone out for a walk,' said Jim, gruffly. "'Where, on the roof?' asked the girl. "'No, she just dug her claws into the wood "'and climbed down the sides of this house to the ground.' "'She couldn't climb down, Jim,' said Dorothy.' "'To climb means to go up.' "'Who said so?' demanded the horse. "'My school teacher said so, and she knows a lot, Jim.' "'To climb down is sometimes used as a figure of speech,' remarked the wizard. "'Well, this was a figure of a cat,' said Jim, "'and she went down anyhow, whether she climbed or crept.' "'Dear me, how careless Eureka is!' exclaimed the girl, much distressed. "'The gurgles will get her, sure.' "'Ha, ha!' chuckled the old cab-horse. "'They're not gurgles, little maid. "'They're gargoyles.' "'Never mind. "'They'll get Eureka, whatever they're called.' "'No, they won't,' said the voice of the kitten. "'And Eureka herself crawled over the edge of the platform "'and sat down quietly upon the floor. "'Wherever have you been, Eureka?' asked Dorothy sternly. "'Watching the wooden folks. "'They're too funny for anything, Dorothy.' "'Just now they are all going to bed, and what do you think? "'They unhook the hinges of their wings and put them in a corner until they wake up again.' "'What, the hinges?' "'No, the wings.' "'That,' said Zeb, "'explains why this house is used by them for a prison. "'If any of the gargoyles act badly and have to be put in jail, "'they are brought here in their wings unhooked and taken away from them "'until they promise to be good.' The wizard had listened intently to what Eureka had said. "'I wish we had some of those loose wings,' he said. "'Could we fly with them?' asked Dorothy. "'I think so. If the gargoyles can unhook the wings, then the power to fly lies in the wings themselves, and not in the wooden bodies of the people who wear them. So if we had the wings, we could probably fly as well as they do, or at least while we are in their country and under the spell of its magic.' "'But how would it help us to be able to fly?' questioned the girl. "'Come here,' said the little man, and took her to one of the corners of the building. "'Do you see that big rock standing on the hillside yonder?' he continued, pointing with his finger. "'Yes, it's a good way off, but I can see it,' she replied. "'Well, inside that rock, which reaches up into the clouds,' is an archway very much like the one we entered "'when we climbed the spiral staircase from the Valley of Woe? "'I'll get my spy-glass, and then you can see it more plainly.' "'He fetched a small but powerful telescope, "'which had been in his satchel, "'and by its aid the little girl clearly saw the opening. "'Where does it lead to?' she asked. "'That I cannot tell,' said the wizard. "'We cannot now be far below the Earth's surface,' and that entrance may lead to another stairway that will bring us on top of our world again where we belong. So if we had wings and could escape the gargoyles, we might fly to that rock and be saved. I'll get you the wings, said Seb, who had thoughtfully listened to all this. That is, if the kitten will show me where they are. But how can you get down, inquired the girl wonderingly. For answer, Zeb began to unfasten Jim's harness strap by strap and to buckle one piece to another until he had made a long leather strip that would reach to the ground. I can climb down that all right, he said. No, you can't, remarked Jim with a twinkle in his round eyes. You may go down, but you can only climb up. Well, I'll climb up when I get back then, said the boy with a laugh. "'Now, Eureka, you'll have to show me the weight of those wings.' "'You must be very quiet,' warned the kitten. "'For if you make the least noise the gargoyles will wake up. "'They can hear a pin drop.' "'I'm not going to drop a pin,' said Zeb. "'He had fastened one end of the strap to a wheel of the buggy, "'and now he let the line dangle over the side of the house. "'Be careful,' cautioned Dorothy earnestly. "'I will,' said the boy.' and let himself slide over the edge. The girl and the wizard leaned over and watched Zeb work his way carefully downward, hand over hand, until he stood upon the ground below. Eureka clung with her claws to the wooden side of the house and let herself down easily. Then together they crept away to enter the low doorway of a neighboring dwelling. The watchers waited in breathless suspense until the boy again appeared— "'his arms now full of the wooden wings. "'When he came to where the strap was hanging, "'he tied the wings, all in a bunch, to the end of the line, "'and the wizard drew them up. "'Then the line was let down again for Zeb to climb up by. "'Eureka quickly followed him, "'and soon they were all standing together upon the platform "'with eight of the much-prized wooden wings beside them. "'The boy was no longer sleepy, but full of energy and excitement.' He put the harness together again, and hitched Jim to the buggy. Then, with the wizard's help, he tried to fasten some of the wings to the old cab-horse. This was no easy task, because half of each one of the hinges of the wings was missing, it being still fastened to the body of the gargoyle who had used it. However, the wizard went once more to his satchel, which seemed to contain a surprising variety of odds and ends, and brought out a spool of strong wire, by means of which they managed to fasten four of the wings to Jim's harness, two near his head and two near his tail. They were a bit wiggly, but secure enough if only the harness held together. The other four wings were then fastened to the buggy, two on each side, for the buggy must bear the weight of the children and the wizard as it flew through the air. These preparations had not consumed a great deal of time, but the sleeping gargoyles were beginning to wake up and move around, and soon some of them would be hunting for their missing wings, so the prisoners resolved to leave their prison at once. They mounted into the buggy, Dorothy holding Eureka safe in her lap. The girl sat in the middle of the seat, with Zeb and the wizard on each side of her. When all was ready, the boy shook the reins and said, "'Fly away, Jim!' Which wings must I flop first? asked the cab horse undecidedly. Flop them all together, suggested the wizard. Some of them are crooked, objected the horse. Never mind. We will steer with the wings on the buggy, said Zeb. Just you light out and make for that rock, Jim, and don't waste any time about it either. So the horse gave a groan, flopped its four wings all together, and flew away from the platform. Dorothy was a little anxious about the success of their trip, for the way Jim arched his long neck and spread out his bony legs as he fluttered and floundered through the air was enough to make anybody nervous. He groaned, too, as if frightened, and the wings creaked dreadfully because the wizard had forgotten to oil them, but they kept fairly good time with the wings of the buggy so that they made excellent progress from the start. The only thing that anyone could complain of with justice was the fact that they wobbled first up and then down, as if the road were rocky instead of being as smooth as the air could make it. The main point, however, was that they flew and flew swiftly, if a bit unevenly, toward the rock for which they had headed. Some of the gargoyles saw them presently, and lost no time in collecting a band to pursue the escaping prisoners, so that when Dorothy happened to look back she saw them coming in a great cloud that almost darkened the sky. End of Chapter 12 The Den of the Dragonets. Our friends had a good start and were able to maintain it, for with their eight wings they could go just as fast as could the gargoyles. All the way to the great rock The wooden people followed them, and when Jim finally alighted at the mouth of the cavern, the pursuers were still some distance away. "'But I'm afraid they'll catch us yet,' said Dorothy, greatly excited. "'No, we must stop them,' declared the wizard. "'Quick, Zeb, help me pull off these wooden wings.' They tore off the wings, for which they had no further use, and the wizard piled them in a heap just outside the entrance to the cavern." Then he poured over them all the kerosene oil that was left in his oil-can, and, lighting a match, set fire to the pile. The flames leaped up at once, and the bonfire began to smoke and roar and crackle just as the great army of wooden gargoyles arrived. The creatures drew back at once, being filled with fear and horror, for such a dreadful thing as a fire they had never before known in all the history of their wooden land— Inside the archway were several doors leading to different rooms built into the mountain, and Zeb and the wizard lifted these wooden doors from their hinges and tossed them all on the flames. "'That will prove a barrier for some time to come,' said the little man, smiling pleasantly all over his wrinkled face at the success of their stratagem. "'Perhaps the flames will set fire to all that miserable wooden country,' and if it does the loss will be very small, and the gargoyles never will be missed. But come, my children, let us explore the mountain and discover which way we must go in order to escape from this cavern, which is getting to be almost as hot as a bake-oven. To their disappointment there was within this mountain no regular flight of steps by means of which they could mount to the earth's surface.' A sort of inclined tunnel led upward for a way, and they found the floor of it both rough and steep. Then a sudden turn brought them to a narrow gallery where the buggy could not pass. This delayed and bothered them for a while, because they did not wish to leave the buggy behind them. It carried their baggage and was useful to ride in wherever there were good roads, and since it had accompanied them so far in their travels— they felt it their duty to preserve it. So Zeb and the wizard set to work and took off the wheels and the top, and then they put the buggy edgewise so it would take up the smallest space. In this position they managed, with the aid of the patient cab horse, to drag the vehicle through the narrow part of the passage. It was not a great distance, fortunately, and when the path grew broader they put the buggy together again and proceeded more comfortably. But the road was nothing more than a series of rifts or cracks in the mountain, and it went zigzag in every direction, slanting first up and then down, until they were puzzled as to whether they were any nearer to the top of the earth than when they had started hours before. "'Anyhow,' said Dorothy, "'we've escaped those awful gurgles, and that's one comfort.' "'Probably the gargoyles are still busy trying to put out the fire,' returned the wizard." "'but even if they succeeded in doing that, "'it would be very difficult for them to fly amongst these rocks, "'so I am sure we need fear them no longer.' "'Once in a while they would come to a deep crack in the floor, "'which made the way quite dangerous, "'but there was still enough oil in the lanterns to give them light, "'and the cracks were not so wide, "'but that they were able to jump over them. "'Sometimes they had to climb over heaps of loose rock, "'where Jim could scarcely drag the buggy.' At such times Dorothy, Zeb, and the wizard All pushed behind and lifted the wheels Over the roughest places So they managed by dint of hard work To keep going But the little party was both weary and discouraged When at last on turning a sharp corner The wanderers found themselves in a vast cave Arching high over their heads And having a smooth level floor The cave was circular in shape and all around its edge, near to the ground, appeared groups of dull yellow lights, two of them being always side by side. These were motionless at first, but soon began to flicker more brightly, and to sway slowly from side to side, and then up and down. "'What sort of place is this?' asked the boy, trying to see more clearly through the gloom. "'I cannot imagine I am sure,' answered the wizard, also peering about whoa snarled eureka arching her back until her hair stood straight on end it's a den of alligators or crocodiles or some other dreadful creatures don't you see their terrible eyes eureka sees better in the dark than we can whispered dorothy tell us dear what do the creatures look like she asked addressing her pet i simply can't describe them answered the kitten shuddering their eyes are like pie plates, and their mouths like coal shuttles, but their bodies don't seem very big. Where are they? inquired the girl. They are in little pockets all around the edge of this cavern. Oh, Dorothy, you can't imagine what horrid things they are. They're uglier than the gargoyles. Tut, tut, be careful how you criticize your neighbors, spoke a rasping voice nearby. "'As a matter of fact, you are rather ugly-looking creatures yourselves, and I'm sure Mother has often told us we were the loveliest and prettiest things in all the world.' Hearing these words, our friends turned in the direction of the sound, and the wizard held his lanterns so that their light would flood one of the little pockets in the rock. "'Why, it's a dragon!' he exclaimed. "'No!' answered the owner of the big yellow eyes, which were blinking at them so steadily. "'You are wrong about that. We hope to grow to be dragons some day, but just now we're only dragonettes.' "'What's that?' asked Dorothy, gazing fearfully at the great scaly head, the yawning mouth, and the big eyes. "'Young dragons, of course, but we are not allowed to call ourselves real dragons until we get our full growth.' was the reply. The big dragons are very proud and don't think children amount to much, but mother says that some day we will all be very powerful and important. Where is your mother? asked the wizard, anxiously looking around. She has gone up to the top of the earth to hunt for our dinner. If she has good luck, she will bring us an elephant, or a brace of rhinoceri, "'or perhaps a few dozen people to stay our hunger.' "'Oh, are you hungry?' inquired Dorothy, drawing back. "'Very,' said the dragonette, snapping its jaws. "'And—and do you eat people?' "'To be sure, when we can get them. "'But they've been very scarce for a few years, "'and we usually have to be content with elephants or buffaloes.' answered the creature in a regretful tone. "'How old are you?' inquired Seb, who stared at the yellow eyes as if fascinated. "'Quite young, I grieve to say, and all of my brothers and sisters that you see here are practically my own age. If I remember rightly, we were sixty-six years old the day before yesterday.' "'But that isn't young,' cried Dorothy in amazement. "'No,' drawled the dragonet. "'It seems to me very babyish.' "'How old is your mother?' asked the girl. "'Mother's about two thousand years old, "'but she carelessly lost track of her age a few centuries ago "'and skipped several hundreds. "'She's a little fussy, you know, "'and always afraid of growing old, being a widow and still in her prime.' "'I should think she would be.' "'agreed Dorothy. "'Then, after a moment's thought, she asked, "'Are we friends or enemies? "'I mean, will you be good to us, "'or do you intend to eat us?' "'As for that, we dragonheads "'would love to eat you, my child. "'But unfortunately, Mother has tied "'all our tails around the rocks "'at the back of our individual caves, "'so that we cannot crawl out to get you. "'If you choose to come nearer, "'We will make a mouthful of you in a wink, but unless you do, you will remain quite safe.' There was a regretful accent in the creature's voice, and at the words all the other dragonettes sighed dismally. Dorothy felt relieved. Presently she asked, "'Why did your mother tie your tails?' "'Oh, she is sometimes gone for several weeks on her hunting trips.' and if we were not tied we would crawl all over the mountain and fight with each other and get into a lot of mischief. Mother usually knows what she is about, but she made a mistake this time, for you are sure to escape us unless you come too near, and you probably won't do that. No, indeed, said the little girl. We don't wish to be eaten by such awful beasts. Permit me to say, returned the dragonette, that you are rather impolite to call us names, knowing that we cannot resent your insults. We consider ourselves very beautiful in appearance, for mother has told us so, and she knows. And we are of an excellent family and have a pedigree that I challenge any humans to equal, as it extends back about twenty thousand years, to the time of the famous green dragon of Atlantis "'who lived in a time when humans had not yet been created. "'Can you match that pedigree, little girl?' "'Well,' said Dorothy, "'I was born on a farm in Kansas, "'and I guess that's being just as spectable and haughty as living in a cave "'with your tail tied to a rock. "'If it isn't, I'll just have to stand it, that's all. "'Tastes differ.' murmured the dragonet, slowly drooping its scaly eyelids over its yellow eyes, until they looked like half-moons. Being reassured by the fact that the creatures could not crawl out of their rock pockets, the children and the wizard now took time to examine them more closely. The heads of the dragonets were as big as barrels and covered with hard greenish scales that glittered brightly under the light of the lanterns. Their front legs, which grew just back of their heads, were also strong and big, but their bodies were smaller around than their heads, and dwindled away in a long line until their tails were slim as a shoestring. Dorothy thought, if it had taken them sixty-six years to grow to this size, that it would be fully a hundred years more before they could hope to call themselves dragons, and that seemed like a good while to wait to grow up. "'It occurs to me,' said the wizard, "'that we ought to get out of this place before the mother dragon comes back.' "'Don't hurry,' called one of the dragonettes. "'Mother will be glad to meet you, I'm sure.' "'You may be right,' replied the wizard, "'but we're a little particular about associating with strangers. "'Will you kindly tell us which way your mother went to get on top the earth?' "'That is not a fair question to ask us,' declared another dragonette.' "'For if we told you truly, you might escape us altogether, "'and if we told you an untruth, we would be naughty and deserve to be punished. "'Then,' decided Dorothy, "'we must find our way out the best we can.' They circled all around the cavern, keeping a good distance away from the blinking yellow eyes of the dragonettes, and presently discovered that there were two paths leading from the wall opposite to the place where they had entered, They selected one of these at a venture, and hurried along it as fast as they could go, for they had no idea when the mother dragon would be back, and were very anxious not to make her acquaintance. End of chapter 13